24-24 right now. She's obliterating the record. Alicia Barnall is about to four-peat. The only man in history to do it. Kara Goucher, she wanted to do this event. It was important to her. Here in Duluth, how sweet it is. Her arm raised in triumph. Welcome, everybody, to the Gearing Up for Grandma's podcast, brought to you with the support of Essentia Health. Hello once again, everybody. I'm Peter Graves, and thank you very much for joining us as we kick off Season 2. I'm happy to be joined for this episode by Chad Somala, a man of many talents. He's the men's and women's cross-country running coach at St. Scholastica in Duluth. He's done a lot of radio broadcast work uh, for the women's race at grandma's marathon on that weekend and he's been to uh, countless olympic games as a broadcaster for nbc as well chad joins us from his home in duluth and chad it's great to have you with us yeah so uh you've had a little break uh from the winter wilds as we gear up again for a uh, winter games in beijing but uh you you know this sport very, very well. And, and first, Chad, how about a maybe a comment about because you live in Duluth, um, how important Grandma's Marathon is to the community? I think it's huge. I, I mean, you know, I'm coaching and running in this community, so Grandma's is kind of like the overshadowing big matzo ball that that everything else is based off of. And I, you know, it's got such a great history. And you look at the at the people involved with the, with the marathon. Um, it kind of makes Duluth a bit of a running town, and that's a fun environment in which to be a college running coach. Um, and, and I, I think it's like it can't be overstated how big of a of a community event it is, and and it, it permeates the city, you know, especially the month leading up to Grandma's. It just feels like Duluth becomes Grandma's Grandma's month that that month of the of the year, and everybody's waiting for the nice weather to come around, and it usually hits right around Grandma's weekend. So it's a it's kind of a rite of spring, so to speak. Yeah, and you've had a bird's eye view uh, from uh, sort of one of the pace cars or the media cars for this race, working as a broadcaster. What's it like to be in that car? Well, you know, I I, I switch roles because I do it with Carrie, and you know, my background, as you know, Peter, is mostly doing the analysis role where I analyze stuff, and I certainly can't analyze a, a running race, but I've never. You know, I've never run a marathon. I certainly didn't run at the elite level. I was a good high school runner, but that was about it. I was much better skier. Um, and, but I've always loved running, and I love analyzing running. And I've coached some very successful runners. But I usually do that that with Kerry Tolson. I do that job with Kerry Tolson. So I switch hats a little bit. And what it kind of does for me is it's fun to, to be the play-by-play guy for once. I don't ever get to do that. And and the other thing it allows me to do is I put I I sit in the back of that van with my computer. I'm a stats guy. I love figuring out. You know, I'm a very I'm a geeky coach, so to speak. Um, you know, I was just I was just out with my team this afternoon, and we have a really brutal work this morning. We had a really brutal workout, and I taped over everybody's watches. And I was telling everybody, you know, this is not like me to tape over your watch so you can't look at your heart rate. Like this is the one workout you're going to do. So I'm a geeker when it comes to that. But I don't, you know, as an analyst, it's hard to geek out when you're analyzing and watching the race. So, w- w- you know, when I'm doing the marathon with, in the back of the van, I love to sit there and I have my laptop out. I have all the miles split markers and I've created an Excel spreadsheet for myself. And, you know, I'm just I'm just setting up, trying to set up carry for the call and analyze the runner's performance. So it, it, it's fun. I love being I don't get to do that job in that form in any other in any other venue. So grandma's to me is kind of a special weekend for me to take take the role of a of a 
of a radio announcer. And uh, our guest today, uh, of course, uh, has had a distinguished running background, but also a, a broadcast background now. And uh, Chad, uh, how tough is it to go into the booth and uh, do the call? Well, I mean, it's going to be interesting to get Kara's take on it. I mean, I remember my first ever call for NBC, and it was in Torino. And we were in the we were in the International Broadcast Center. We weren't on the venue. Um, I was supposed to do it with Len Berman of uh, Today Show fame. He did a, spanning the world of sports with Len Berman. And Len didn't want to do that first race because he hadn't done biathlon. He didn't even really know the sport. So I got in with Ted Robinson, who was like an absolute pro. Uh, you know, Ted Robinson, he used to be the, the, the voice of the Minnesota Twins back in the day. And then, you know, if you've watched Wimbledon, you've heard Ted Robinson's. So I'm sitting down my first call with um, Ted Robinson and, and, and I'd say to Ted, I, you know, we were going to, we were kicking off the games in Torino. We were going to be on USA Network. Uh, uh, Bill McAtee was throwing to us and we we're going to biathlon. First medal event of the games, first day of the games, my first call as a TV announcer. And uh, I, I said to Ted, I'm like, well, I'm just going to put out of my mind that, uh, that there might be a several hundred thousand people wa watching this. He goes, oh, it'll be, it'll be several hundred thousand. But more importantly, Dick Ebersol is a few, ro few rows down and he's watching. That's the guy you got to impress. And I'm like, Kind of took a gulp and I'm like, oops, okay. Well, I didn't need to think about that. But I have, I think if I have a talent of any kind uh, in this thing, it's, it's to put all that out of my mind. I just, I get into the moment when the race starts, I forget everything and it melts away. And I think if you think about the fact that 16 million people are listening to what you have to say live, that's not going to help you. Like, I think you got to be able to put that out of your mind. And if you can't do that, it, you're probably not cut out to do it. And um, I, I have that mental capacity to do that. And, and I think that's how I do it. So, so is it hard for me? It's not. I mean, to be honest with you, it's, it's just not. I don't know why it's not. Um, I'm probably an oddity in that respect. But Kara clearly has it, too. Like, I just I, I listen to her these games. And, you know, I don't want to sound condescending because anytime you say you're proud of somebody. Uh, but but watching Kara do what she did, it was, like, it was so clear why she got the job to do it, because I don't think it bothered her either. Maybe she, maybe it did, but she certainly didn't let it show. And, uh, and that, and that was really cool to see. And I'm interested to hear how she got into that, that booth and, and, and the process. So, so that, that's my, that's my gist and my, my, and I've been doing that since 2006. So what is that? 15 years, 15 years ago. All right. Well, now we want to introduce uh, our guest, uh, someone who uh, may be brand new uh, to the broadcast aspect of the Olympic games, but no stranger to the worldwide uh, stage. Uh, Born in Queens, New York, a silver medalist at the World Championships in 10,000 meters, a two-time Olympian, uh, ran at Colorado, three-time NCAA champion. And uh, for our Duluth fans, uh, she ran for Duluth East. Um, so, uh, and so many more things to talk about. Uh, but Kara Goucher, welcome to the podcast. It's wonderful to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I, I guess we'll pick it up where Chad left off, and uh, that is um, uh, your first Olympic Games as a broadcaster. As said, as a runner, you you did it twice: Beijing and London. Um, I guess, uh, and you did it so well. I, I mean, it was so impressed. Um, so I guess let's start it off by thoughts from uh, your uh, first Olympics as a broadcaster. How did it feel? Were there were there nerves? And and maybe uh, the third part of that question uh, is: it easier or tougher than competing? 
Yeah, no, there's definitely nerves. Um, like Chad said, like sometimes they'll remind you right before you go on air, like there's 17 million people listening, let's have a good show. And you're like, great, thanks. Um, but in general, I think like the team that I worked with was so good. And Lee Diffie, who's our play-by-play, was so good. I mean, he would just like loft me softballs that I could just step up and knock out. And um, I think the very first race I called, the men's 10,000, I was extremely nervous, you know, but once you start to get in that role and then you have more races come, it gets better and you get in a flow with the people you work with. And it's, it's really fun. I mean, I, I can't believe how fun it is. Like, it's just, it's so much fun to like watch these athletes achieve their dreams and to be working so hard and to get to talk about it and to get to be right there. I got to be, I was on the finish line and I got to see them and see the emotion. So it was really fun. And it's, it's a tough job, like no doubt about it. You know, you don't want to mispronounce someone's name and you want to do respect and you can't take back anything you say because it's live. Uh, but it's, and it's a lot to study, but it's still, it's still easier than being an athlete for sure. I'm going to guess that the confidence you had from your running career probably also carried over into the booth. Does that seem right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know that I was super confident in the booth, but you know, I got, I I was asked to audition. I auditioned. I never thought I'd get the job. I got the job. And you know, what I was told was when you talk about the strategy and when you talk about what the athletes are doing in the moment, that's why you got the job. And that is something I feel confident. I know I spent a lot of years racing on the international circuit spent a lot of years in those packs. I know what it's like to be in those races. I know what it's like to feel that, to know when the moves are coming. And so that's something I am confident in talking about, just like I'm sure Chad is like, when you've been there, you know it, right. And when you've lived it. And so that's, yeah, I can talk track. That's like one thing I can definitely talk, you know? So Kara, I I just kind of want to talk about, I kind of want to, one thing I was really kind of interested in is um, well, you said you were, you, you were tapped to do it. Did somebody just reach out to you and say, Hey, we think you'd be good at this. We want to try it. Is that really what happened? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I got reached out to by one of the producers at NBC. She said, we're looking for new faces and Becky Chapman. She's like, your name came up. And so she was like, she met with me for 30 minutes one day and showed me good broadcasting versus bad broadcasting. And then I just did a two hour audition. I recalled, I called the races from Doha, the last world championships with Lee. And then a few weeks went by. I just assumed that I didn't get the job because I don't have any background in it. And then I found out I got the job. So I obviously, I mean, I'm an analyst. That's, that's kind of who I am. And I, and I've worked in TV. I've done this a lot. And I noticed that you just do a lot. Your mind goes to the place where my mind goes. And I, I, I never knew why people, I mean, I often like, you know, even every year, like get back in the booth or after I haven't called for a while and I, and I sit in the booth and I go, why do people want to listen to me? Like, you know, why do they want to hire me back? And, and then your mind just goes on autopilot. And I notice you do that. Is that something that you were conscious of going into the interview? Do you, or, or did you actually, did you actually tell yourself, okay, I, I gotta, I gotta remember to be certain, to talk about certain things or does that, do you, does your mind just naturally wander there? I think it was natural because I got a lot. I had to go through training after I got the job because of all the things I did wrong. You know, like what I did right was like, was like, you know, break down the story, like tell your sport. That's something that you do so well is like you're explaining these sports that most people don't see, haven't experienced, haven't done, but you're explaining it. And all of a sudden now I'm hooked in. Like all of a sudden I'm super into this relay and I need to know if the US is going to win this relay. Right. And that's like, that's what something that you're so good at. And I think like, that's something that 
came naturally to me as well. It was other things that I had to learn. Like I had a lot to learn about how it's actually done. Like I didn't even know that I wasn't allowed to talk the last 200 meters or that when they show a replay in slow motion, I'm supposed to talk. I didn't even know that, you know, like they're like, that's when you talk, you're, you know, you're the analyst. I'm like, wait, what? So there's so much I didn't know. But yeah, just what you're saying, going in and talking about it, that's that's where I feel comfortable. I'm going to give you a little hint, though. But every now and then, if you do it well, you can break the rules. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not, I'm not as good as you quite yet. You know that, Chad, from your own experience, calling the cross-country race in Pyeongchang. Totally, yeah. I mean, I, I think about that a lot because it's like, you know, after we got done with, just just for the, for people who aren't aware, like my, my, my most famous call that, that that people know me for is me breaking the rules. Um, so they will, they will let you have to hook. So I'm not telling you to break the rules, Kara, but if you ever feel like you've got to do the thing because it's a special moment, go for it. <laughs> okay. I'm going to say <laughs> Chad Samala told me to do it. <laughs> no. Okay. Maybe I'll take that back. I'll walk that back, but, but, but know that it's, know that it's happened. So what was it like uh, for you, Kara, calling uh, Molly's race, winning the bronze medal, third ever medal for the uh, U.S. women in that event? You had a front row seat. Tell me the emotions. Tell me what it was like. Yeah, I mean, it was just so awesome. And, you know, when it looked like she might fade to fourth, I, you know, one of the things that's inspired me about Chad is his energy level. I think that's another reason why people like to watch him. And so when she was sort of looked like she was fading to fourth, I didn't want to let my energy down because fourth was so good. Um, and so I wanted like the audience to know, like, this is still so good. I didn't want to like, like give any ounce of like a letdown. But then of course, when she got back into third, I was like, oh my God, I was so excited. But then, you know, like I got super emotional when she finished and I actually had to like hold down my cough button because we're not supposed to be, you know, we can be excited, but we're not supposed to be like crying. Um, and I actually was at that point. So I was like holding down my, my, my mute button and then Lee brought me in. I gave him like such a dirty look. So I was like, I'm going to get in trouble here because I'm choked up, but it was just so amazing. And it's, it's all of the athletes are amazing. That's one thing I'll say. It doesn't matter if they medal or not, you are so inspired by them, but Molly Huddle or Molly Seidel, sorry, specifically has gone through so much to be in this moment. And as a person, as a human has overcome so much and, to see her just take that risk on herself and believe in herself, it was just, I couldn't believe it. Like, I couldn't believe what we were watching. I was so impressed and I felt really lucky to, to be able to be the one to help call that race. Yeah, it was, was extraordinary. And no doubt, uh, you know, because uh, I agree with you about the results, but when, we, when you medal, you get media time. And that's always true. And I think that... Um, I think and hope that uh, Molly's performance at Tokyo will um, will inspire a new generation of, of boys and girls uh, for running. I think it will for sure. I mean, like I can look at the Dina Castor medal from 04 as the catalyst for me to win a medal in 07. A hundred percent. That's what it was. A hundred percent. Shalane Flanagan winning New York was a catalyst for Des Linden winning Boston. And so there will be a new, a new generation of athletes who will completely credit watching that and will remember watching that and they will credit that as the moment that they dream, you know, dreamed bigger. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to follow up on that, Kara. You know, I was, I was actually, as luck would have it, I was in, in, in Athens when Dina won her medal. I wasn't at the event, but I was watching it live in Athens. And I, and I think the difference here is that, and, and I think you did a great job of pointing that out in the broadcast was that 
Dina Castor was a name in, in, in the marathon when she won her brother. Like people knew Dina Castor. Nobody knew uh, uh, Seidel. And I, and I think that you did a great job of that. And how do you think that changed your call and changed everybody's view of that medal in the running world? Yeah, I think it just like, it opens doors, right? It makes you think more is possible than when you think. Yeah, like it's one thing where, you know, like there were some women in that race, the world record holder was in that race. So we were pretty confident she was going to win a medal. And that's still inspiring, but it's very different than someone who's only running their third marathon, who's not a big name, who doesn't have all these accolades, who comes in and runs with the big dogs and comes away with a medal. That sort of is a you know, it's one thing to watch these women that are, or men that are just so good continually dominate. It's another thing to see an underdog do it, I think. And I think that's what a lot of people can relate to. Like, well, maybe if I can just get there, I'll have my chance. And one more follow-up. Do you think that, I mean, how big of a factor were the conditions for Molly to be able to pull off that, that medal? Was that a big part of it? Do you think? I don't want to say like she won that medal because of the conditions. I feel like me and Osaka was a little bit of the conditions. Um, I, I, I think that it, it certainly aided her because she is super tough and she's sort of unflappable when she's out there. She knows what she's there to do. And she's not really, you know, she talked about how she was running with people who have run over 10 minutes faster than her in the marathon. But I'm going to run with them, right? So I think, I do think it affected the field in general. Um, but I don't think she got that medal because of the weather. I think she was going to be up there no matter what. I think she just was really fit and she was ready to take a risk on herself. Carol, let's talk a little bit about um, the Olympic Games for many people are are really rooted almost in a childhood dream. It's a very, very big deal. What advice might you give to young runners hoping to make it to an Olympic Games? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I dreamt about making the Olympic Games since I was a kid. At first, I thought I'd go in gymnastics, and then it turned out I had no hand-eye coordination. I had to let that dream go, and then it became about running, right? 1992 is when I really, really thought maybe I could do it, because at that point, I had found running. But it still seemed, like, super far-fetched, you know? And I think one thing I would say is it takes a really long time, but also there's beauty and, and honor in the pursuit. And just because you don't get there, it doesn't mean... You're, it doesn't mean it wasn't a worthwhile journey. I mean, so few people actually get there. And even like at the Olympics, there's there's athletes that are disappointed because they don't land on the podium when the rest of us look up to them so much just for being there. I think it's the same thing with like having a long-term dream that that drives you. But But I think there's so much honor in just living that and trying. And I know a lot of really, really good athletes who never made an Olympic team and they're you know, they are super great athletes and just as good as the Olympians we see. And so sometimes I just want to be careful that we don't put so much emphasis on the Olympics that if you don't make it, you have somehow failed, you know? Yeah. Well said. Kara, I have a question. Um, I was being the sports performance guy as we were talking about Tokyo here. Um, we've seen a lot of world records and a lot of records in general fall recently. We all know about the shoes, but do you think it's all the shoes? Do you think that maybe there's something to the fact that a lot of these athletes haven't been racing a full racing schedule. Do you think that's something that people are talking about? Or have the elite athletes and their coaches been talking about the fact that they're not racing full schedules and maybe they're a little more rested and ready to run record times or, or do you, or, you know, between those two topics, which is it or, or, or what percentage of each? I think it's a combination of a bunch of things. I think it's new materials in the track. You know, Tokyo has the first track that had air coming through the track um, to pr produce more bounce. I think, 
you know, the, the plated shoes, which we've talked about at nauseum are definitely helping records fall. And then you give the combination of that to the track. Um, I think this is sort of a sad thing, but there was eight months where there was no drug testing. Um, but then I think there is a part of what you're just saying. I think that's the final component is I do feel like there was an appreciation by the athletes that maybe we haven't seen in years past. Then they were vocal about it. They were, I felt like they were kinder to each other. I felt like I saw more sportsmanship at this Olympics than I've seen. And I think, you know, they went, a lot of them went a year without being able to compete. And they're just so excited. And it's like bars off, like, let's see what we can do. Let's take the risk because they know it's, you know, sometimes when you're in a racing season, you're nervous to take too many risks because so you want to be here. But I think when you have no opportunity, you're like, I'd rather risk it all and fail than not, you know, I, I have this opportunity. So I think it was a combo of all that stuff. We saw a lot of really magical performances. It's so great to see you on the uh, worldwide stage, both as a runner and now as a broadcaster, because uh, Duluth still gets to claim you as a, one of us. In fact, your run at the 2012 U.S. Half Marathon Championships uh, at Grandma's, your hometown, still stands as the event record in the Gary Bjorklund Half Marathon. When you think about that day, how does that race rank in your mind? Oh, I, it's one of my all-time favorite races. Um, just because, like, it was like a a full circle moment, right? I was headed off to my sem- second Olympics. It was the my one race that I did in preparation. I literally headed to Europe from Duluth, and so I got to see so many people I know and care about. My grandparents were at the finish line. My high school coach. You know, as I lined up, people were like, hi, Kara, like I have, I was in calculus with you or I was this, this with you and like all along the course. And it was really important to me to, to run well and to win there. And I really wanted that course record. I'm not usually, I don't usually care about times because things are always changing. You never, it's hard to compare stuff. Um, and to be totally honest, I think that record will fall very, very soon, especially with the shift in technology. I, I don't, I, it'll fall probably this summer, but I really wanted it that day because I just wanted it as a way to say like of everyone that's come through here, like the girl that grew up here is the best that's ever come through here, you know? And so it just meant a lot to me. And it meant a lot to me that the community was so supportive. I just had the best time. And yeah, it's like definitely a top three race for me that I ever did. Wow. Amongst all your incredible accomplishments, that's, that's a pretty high praise. So we're going to take a listen, uh, I think you'll like this, uh, to a a quick call Mike Pinocchi and I made from the finish line in 2012, and here's the way we called it at the time. Kara Goucher, she wanted to do this event. It was important to her, and now she has done it here in Duluth. How sweet it is, her arm raised in triumph. Wow, what an incredible moment, Kara. And and uh, I, 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 what was it like? It was so great. You know, my coach at the time had wanted me to run a little bit slower and to negative split that race. And so I knew I was trying to make up lost time in that second half. And I didn't know if I was going to get the record or not. So when I came around and came down that straightaway and saw the clock, I was so excited. Um, and it just was so awesome. I was so excited to 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 win the race, to get the record. And like I said, all my loved ones, my coach, my mom, my grandparents, everyone was at the finish line. And it was just a really happy day. Like you don't always get days like that in your career where you get to come back to where it all began. 
And to be able to do that was just so, so special. Kara, uh, marathoning is is really unique in, in, in the fact that, you know, kind of every man and every woman can come out and run a marathon. They can go up, they can go to the starting line and be in the same race as somebody like you did in 2012. You were going to the Olympics after that race. And some and there's a bunch of people lining up behind you who are going to run the same course as you on the same day and maybe do it for the first time. And there's, you know, while there's a huge ocean of, of difference between your performance and, and the bulk of the rest of the field, there is that cool thing that these people who are doing it for the first time, they're doing the same thing as you in, in essence. So what are some of the things, if somebody is, is really into Grandma's Marathon, they're, they're maybe thinking of doing it for the first time and listening to this podcast. What are some little things that, that you've learned over the years as a, an elite marathoner that kind of affects everybody from, from you all the way down to the beginner that might help somebody, you know, maybe with morning jitters or maybe even prepping into the week before a marathon. What are some of the things that you think are universal for an elite athlete and a beginner at, for going into a marathon? Yeah, well, that's like, that's the beauty of the marathon, right? Like I love the track, but like people don't get to go down there and run a 5,000 meters after the elite field runs the 5,000 meters. So I feel like moving to the marathon was such a blessing in my life. It like really got me into the running community more. And I just love the marathon. So yeah, there's like, there's, you know, preparation. You're, you have to prepare no matter who you are. I think like the big things that I always tell like new marathoners is, you know, it's a long way and, you know, conservative is always best, right? And you're a coach, so you know this, like it's always better to start out conservatively. If you are at mile 10 and you're thinking this feels easy, you're doing it perfect because the real race starts around 20 miles. So always run slower than you think you should in the beginning. It's always a much more enjoyable, a much more enjoyable experience at the end. Um, you know, things like your hydration is really important. So find out what is on course. I'm not sure what's on course at grandma's this year, but practice with that. Make sure your body is used to taking that in. Don't just show up on race day and drink whatever they have. Make sure your body can handle that when it's running hard and really hydrate a few days out. Like make sure a few days out you start hydrating. Um, and the night before, you know, don't take any risks with your food. That's not the night to do anything crazy. Eat something really bland and easy. You know, you can digest and all these things most people know, but like no new shoes on race day, no new clothes on race day. And if you do, you better get your body glide out because you are going to rub somewhere where you're not prepared to rub. And so I always would just like body glide my whole body anyway, under my armpits and, you know, on my legs, everything. Uh, but just don't do anything crazy new on race day. And then really just like, enjoy it. I mean, like there is nothing in life like finishing a marathon. It is like a thrill that I miss so much to this day. And it just, there's, it's so always so emotional, but so fun. Whether you have a great race or a bad race, you put so much into it. It's such a sense of accomplishment. So, you know, just have fun because it's, it's the best feeling to cross that finish line. As you said, I've coached some marathoners to some pretty decent successes for them and their level. And, and every one of them's PR is a negative split race. Like nobody's ever positive split their PR. Did you, did you ever, did you negative split your PRs at that distance? Were they usually negative splits? Meaning the, the second half is faster than the first? Always. And you know, that was so hard for me to learn because if you'll remember me from high school, my goal was to get as big of a lead as possible. <laughs> and then I would die, but hope that my lead was big enough. And so switching to that kind of thinking was always hard for me. And I did learn how to do it on the track as well, but definitely in the marathon, you know, I think sometimes you're feeling good and you're like banking time. You're like, Oh, well, I'm like 30 seconds faster than I hope to be here, but it just never works out that way. 
when, when the wheels fall off, the wheels fall off. And it's always better to get that time back later. It just, you'll feel so much better and so much stronger throughout the race. Yeah. Negative split is the way to go. Sec faster second half than first half. That's the way to do it. You, met, you mentioned high school. So you're, you're high school running. You're, you're basically a legend around here in Minnesota and, and specifically in Duluth. Um, so what, what was Duluth like for you growing up um, in Grandma's Marathon's shadow? And how did Grandma's Marathon and, and your own running kind of shape you, into, shape you into a distance runner? You know, I loved running for Duluth East High School. I had the best time. I had such great teammates. We were competitive, but it was always fun. And like, I, I was coached by Dick Skog. I could not have had a better experience. He never pushed me too hard. He always knew he always hoped that I would love the sport for a long time. And I just, I mean, I just don't have anything negative to say only positive. I love my high school experience. I feel like I was super lucky to have the experience I had. Um, I, I watch grandma's marathon every year. I watch my aunt and uncle do it. I volunteered down on London road and handed out water, but I got to say, I always thought they were insane. I was like, I will never do that. I mean, I remember like seeing people after and they can barely walk. And I was like, yeah, I'm a two miler or a miler, you know, I'm never going to do that. And so it was, you know, years and years, I didn't run my first marathon until I was 30. So it, it, I loved the atmosphere. I love that the community came together. I love that on grandma's marathon day, everyone is downtown cheering someone they know in everybody in the city's downtown. And I love that. And I still love that about marathons, how they really do bring the community together. But if I'm being totally honest, I didn't want to do it. <laughs> and, uh, Anyone from Duluth uh, who hasn't been to the race, uh, what would you tell them uh, in way of encouragement to come to Grandma's and run? I mean, it's so amazing. I, I ran the half marathon, um, I want to say in 2017. And as I was running, I was running with men that were saying, this is such an incredible place. You come from such a pretty place. Your town is so cool. And I was like, well, thanks. I mean, it's not mine, but thanks. Just the support is awesome. The course is so beautiful. I mean, like you're just following the lake, you're seeing it, you can see the bridge up ahead, you're coming, you're following it. And, and then when you drop into downtown, it is so loud. It is so awesome. But there's sprinkles of people the whole time. But it really is so loud for a marathon. Like there's some marathons that are super loud and some that aren't. And I would say it's one of those louder ones for sure, especially as you get in those last two miles. It's just, it's such a beautiful weekend and the community supports it so much. And it's so fun. Like at the finish line, it's fun. It's like a great fun atmosphere. It's, it, I would like recommend that anyone does it. It's so much fun. And it's just a really good course. It's, it's rolling. So it's not perfectly flat, but it's not, it's not out of control, hilly. It's really fun. Oh yeah, I think that if you're going to debut in a marathon, Grandma's is, is about as good as you can get because you have that you have that chance at a tailwind the whole way. Like there's something about that time of year um, where the wind, like the, you've probably got a sixty plus percent chance of a tailwind in that time of the year, and, and the chance that it's going to be a nice temperature is really good because you're by the lake. You know, even if it gets, I, I remember even, you know, when I was young and I was training as an athlete and just watching grandmas, we would go down and it would be 85 degrees and, and humid over the hill and 60 down by the lake and foggy and people were running great times. So I think in that respect, it's like, you know, weather is such a big part of a debut marathon 
to enjoy it. And grandma's is a really good gamble. If you're going to spend your money to go somewhere and run a marathon and plop your money down on a, on a hotel room, a flight or a car drive and an entry fee. So I, yeah, I think it's, I think it's from a coaching perspective, it is a great marathon to choose as a debut marathon. Yeah, he's totally right. I mean, the weather is reliably good. You can never be a hundred percent right all the time, but in general, it's cool because it's earlier in the season um, it's, and I like that it has rolling Hills because sometimes when it's perfectly flat, you're just using the same muscle group and you can tend to fatigue out, but it it's rolling, right? So you're changing up, you're using your quads, you're using your hamstrings. And so I just think it's like, it's a great first time. And yeah, Chad's right. A lot of times you get a tailwind and you, like that doesn't happen very often in a lot of marathons. So that's like a great experience. You're getting a little push from behind. It's pretty awesome. Well, we we all love Duluth, of course, and our famous tagline for the race, world-class event, small-town charm. Uh, Do you carry some sense of pride from your hometown in this event every year? Absolutely. I mean, like, the Grandma's Marathons run so well. Like, I've run all, all around the world, and there are some races where they make you feel like you matter, and there are some races where you feel like, you know, you're a number and you'll, you will not feel like a number at grandma's. You will feel like you matter. I don't care if you're at the front or the back, you matter. The race is excited that you're here. The community's excited that you're here. It's, it's an awesome weekend. And it's like, I've ra- like I said, I've raced all over the place, but really you don't always feel like you're like you're special and you will feel that way at grandma's. Do you think we'll uh, see you coming back uh, to tow the start line at some point? You know, I, I do. I've never run the marathon there and I'd like to, but I just have to like full disclosure. I am not fast anymore. I don't train hard anymore. I run with my friends, my son's friends, his friend's dads. And like, not that they're not fast, but like, I don't run that hard anymore. So it's uh, at this point in my career, I would like to come as a bucket list. Just check it off because I haven't run the full but I would not be in the elite field and you'd have to wait at the kitchen for a while to see me come by. All right. Well, we'll leave it on that note. Um, thank you uh, very much, uh, Kara Goucher. It's been such a pleasure. And that's it for this week. The gearing up for grandma's podcast is brought to you with the support of Essentia health. You can find us as always on Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Please subscribe, rate us, and above all, tell your friends to listen in. Thank you again to this week's guest, Kara Goucher, and a wonderful job by my co-host, Chad Samala. Grandma's Marathon is proudly presented by Toyota, Members Cooperative Credit Union, and ASICS. Run fast, run far, and have fun, everybody. We'll see you next time. So long.